Today's €2.90 wrap of the day is the spicy veggie one, guaranteed to cause flavour envy. Picture a soft tortilla wrap filled with... Mmm, delicious crispy veggie dippers. Oh, I've heard it's vegan too. Um, That spicy relish looks good. Today's €2.90 spicy veggie one. So big on flavour, everyone will want some. Only at McDonald's. (laughs) From 11am... Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Series 2 of the podcast. Now, my next guest is someone who I really wanted to have on Series 1, but he is another very, very busy man. And if you know anything about the world of health and fitness, you probably know exactly who he is. Sean Stafford is a very good friend of mine. He is a, well, was, maybe still is, we can get onto that, a physique competitor and world champion, a fitness model, a gym owner, and a bodybuilding celebrity, as well as a bit of an Instagram celebrity. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thank you, mate. That's awesome. How I've never been. I've never been called a bodybuilding celebrity. Well, you kind of are, aren't you? I mean, I don't yeah, really know maybe. how. I don't really know how to say it, but you are. Yeah, it's one of those ones where when people ask you kind of what you do. You can't really reel off what you've I mean, just done, so but it's weird, so hard it? to like pin it down. Dude, it happens to me all the time. So now I just say I'm an author, but yeah. I don't feel like. People, as soon as you say I'm an author, people think that you write like novels. Like Emily Bronte. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like my the modern day so Emily Bronte. <laughs> Here's how you do a squat. <laughs> do, you, do, you reckon, do you reckon if Instagram was around when the Brontes were writing, do you think Classic that. Classic <laughs> novelists. Do you think that they would have kept with the, with the quill and the ink, or do you reckon they would have been doing like booty shots in a mirror? What do you reckon? I'd, li- I'd like to think they would still be writing. I'd like to think they'd still be writing. I think, I think, hmm, literary people tend to shy away from Instagram and uh, are more prevalent on Twitter. That's so a I, very good point. Right. So I don't think the booty shots would be happening, but I do think that they may be on Twitter. Doing... They would be retweeting the shit out of stuff. If but... anybody doesn't follow Sean, like start following him now um, on Instagram. Have a long lingering look at him. He's a he's a sexy piece of meat. Thanks, As mate. is his wife, actually. How she... are the family? They're great. Yeah. Yeah. I have been on Sean's podcast, which is called The Dad Podcast. It is The Dad Podcast, It right? is The Dad Podcast. And um, it's very similar to this. Um, and yeah, this is what we do every time because we have known each other for a few years. James actually introduced us. And I didn't know who Sean was when I first met him. And I was like, oh, I'm doing stuff too. Like, I'd love to talk to you and da 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 And then I went on Instagram and the penny drops. And I was like, oh, shit, he is actually like a bona fide like bodybuilding celebrity <laughs> it's like oh crap i've completely embarrassed myself but we've been friends that, that, that was a good wedding that was a wedding wasn't it yeah we were i was battered that i remember going from table to table at like two in the morning finishing off everybody's uneaten cake it was good cake so it was strong for me um okay right so for people who don't know who you are why don't you introduce yourself, tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do in this sure. crazy world of health and fitness? So I started off, sort of. I've always been very, very active. So mm-hmm. I come from quite an active family. My father was in the army. My mum was a nurse. They were both very sporty. My dad played hockey and ran the mile. My mum was a, a uh, I think it was a, the equivalent, was it a, a pentathlete yeah, back yeah, then? Like yeah. back in the day, I thought she was a multidiscipline athlete. Um 
And then my brother and I just grew up playing a lot of sport. I played a fairly high level sort of rugby and did track and field. And then when I kind of wanted to take to the next level, I kind of thought, I need to I need to be bigger because I was tiny. I'm like six foot one and I think I weighed like 70 kilos. I can't imagine you tiny. I was so skinny. But this is like when I was 18. So like, you know, if you if you see a jacked 18 year old now, you don't believe it. But like I was like 70 kilos at 18. And then my coach at the time said, look, if you want to take take the next step up, you need to get in the weights room and you need to sort of develop your body so that you can take the impact of rugby. Yeah. And I was studying sports science at, at sort of college. I got an A-level in PE, did sports science at A-level. And so I got the minimum requirements to work in a gym. So I literally went to my local gym and said, hey, I'm going to be in here twice a day training in the off-season. So you might as well give me You're a job. You're two days. Two days at 18. <laughs> what a lad. Um, I was like, you, you might as well, because I still wanted to keep my fitness up. So I was still like yeah. doing the cardio in the morning, then like the weights in the afternoon. I was like, look, I'm going to be Smart. in here twice a day. Um, so you might as well give me a job. And they said, yeah, right. And so they gave me a job and I went from like in my school, in my, my university holidays, working like 11 till 7 every day in the gym. And I'd come in, I'd train before my shift, I'd work a full shift and then I'd train afterwards and go home and just repeat. And that was in the off season. And I went from being 70 kilos to 95 kilos. Wow. Yeah. So it was like a combination. How long is the off season? Two months? No, it was like, it was like four months. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind That's of over the summer. That's pretty impressive though. Obviously, you must have known what you were doing. Uh, no, literally. What? I was just eating. And it, and it was the first time I'd ever done it. And genetically, I'm, I would say I'm suited to yeah. being a bit of a meathead. Yeah. Um, and it was literally doing two a days, eating like four and a half thousand calories. Like I was eating like a, a Tesco's lasagna. And rather than using like a knife and fork, I would use like a loaf of bread <laughs> as, the, <laughs> as the knife and fork. I was doing this too at 18, but it was less because I was concerned with sport and more because I was a stoner. So. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I was literally just plowing through like all these calories and my body just soaked it up and grew. Yeah. And, I, and I, I wasn't lean, but for rugby, it was perfect. And I came back the next season and had like a breakout season and, and that was that. But you were keeping on top of your fitness simultaneously. So you could go in there bigger, handle the contact more, yeah. but also you were probably fitter at the end of I was, four I was months in the, of... Yeah, I was, I, it was literally like a, a fight camp if you're a boxer. Like it was literally the only thing I was focused on was going on that tour at the start of the season, you know, coming back and playing professional rugby. Good for you. Um, and, but that was kind of my introduction to the weights. Okay. And then when I got injured, because I didn't quite really understand what I was doing the structural balance around my joints wasn't as good as it should have been. Yep. Way too much chest and arms, not enough back and retractors. Isn't that always the way with you lot? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, and so it, it put my body physically in a slightly disadvantaged position, but also having grown so quickly, yeah. like tendons, ligaments, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff didn't really catch up. Mm-hmm. So going from being like 70 kilos to like 90 odd kilos so quickly and then straight into a contact sport, yeah. my body broke down, yeah. got injured. And then what I realized I missed more than the rugby was the gym. Yeah. And that's when I decided to knock rugby on the head, take up, you know, sort of gym training all the time, did all my courses, did all that sort of stuff, yeah. got qualified. So from a, from a completely selfish point of view, like so thirsty for knowledge, just so I could improve yeah. myself. Yeah. And so I could learn about fitness and bodybuilding and all that sort of stuff. And then that was it. Then I kind of thought, well, what am I going to train for if I'm not playing rugby anymore? And that's kind of at the same time when Men's Physique was born. Yeah. And it was kind of like when Instagram started to kick off. How many years ago was this? Eight. Eight years ago. Yeah. 
God, how funny that's when it like really started to kick off. It's just crazy to me. Right, so carry on. And so it was one of those ones where I thought, I'm going to go on this journey. So I'm going to, I'm going to train for my first show. And it was kind of when Facebook had just started. And I had a Facebook page and it had maybe like three or 4,000 people on it, which was at the time mega. Yeah. And I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to document every workout I do and just do like, so every day I would do a post on what I was eating and what I was training. So you, so as soon as you, you moved away from the rugby and the performance side of what you were doing, did you pretty much immediately go straight into physique yeah. Base sport. Yeah. And so did you decide on your show and then start your first prep yeah. pretty much immediately? Yeah, it was actually a bet. So a colleague at work was like, we should do the show. I'm going to do it. Do you want to do it too? And I was like, sure. Let's see who does better. She was a girl. Yeah. Let's see who does better. Yeah. Cool. So we both trained head down like four months to train what for was she? It. What was her category? She was competing in bikini. Okay, fine. And I was competing in fitness. Right. Um, and it was one of those ones where... Why fitness? What made you choose fitness? Because naturally I'm quite skinny. Yeah. So yeah, fine. So like I'm not I'm not built like a I'm not built like a Haskell or a these guys are massive, you know, like I've got small joints. Well, naturally, can I just say for anyone who doesn't know what Sean looks like, he's saying naturally he's not built like and he's completely right. James is genetically he's a genetic freak of nature. I mean, just as far as he got in his rugby career should tell you that. Yeah. Um because that's not quote unquote normal. But Sean does actually this probably makes it even well it definitely makes it more impressive sean actually i've seen you look bigger than him at at points oh do, so yeah, i mean different. credit where credit it's, is due no it, it's look because it's all an illusion that's it's the thing all, it's all about it small is. joints i've got like big muscles on small joints it's and always makes, an illusion though, and but lines that's why, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's why i think you're much more suited to the world of physique So, and I don't know how James would fare in that category. I mean, I don't know. He's never had to be judged on his physique, but other than by me, and I give him a 10. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, fine. So, go on. So, you started your first prep. And I started started my prep. And I think think the um, kind of the most important thing was the fact that I said for free, I'm just going to document everything. Yeah. And it was, I posted every day, was consistent with it. And then I, I kind of uh, that first show went really well. I ended up winning the British Championships in the sh- oh, in my no, first show, yeah. And then so that got me like an invite to the Europeans, which was I think three or four months later. So I said, yeah, okay, cool, I'll do that. So I travelled to Iceland to do the Europeans. Oh my god, was better than I was the first time round because I learned a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, won that, which kind of got me an invite to the World Championships, which was like eight months later. So I again head down, prepped for that, learnt mm-hmm. more, you know did everything I could to try and like sort of learn about the body and learn about how to prep effectively and properly Yeah. whilst still documenting the whole thing. And again, eight months later in Toronto and Canada, first world championships ended up winning that. So I literally went from a novice amateur to a pro world champion in 18 months and and documented the whole thing on Facebook. And my Facebook page went from like 3000 to like, 500,000. Of course. In about I mean, 18 months, yeah. So people, so we've, we have had another uh, fitness competitor on a bikini girl called Hayley and I said the same for her and I'll say it again now. To win one competition is incredibly impressive in such a competitive industry but to win multiple competition, I mean, what it says is that you've got a very gifted physique athlete and you know, people will argue whether or not, that you know, competitors are athletes. They are. It's in a very different context, you know, but they absolutely are. And it is, um, it's incredibly impressive. So it actually brings me really nicely onto my next question for you. 
talk to me about your preps. Talk to me about in terms of the uh, the physique training, in terms of the 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 weightlifting, and then the cardio, and then yeah. the nutrition. Like, what did it look like? Because then I want to actually ask you to compare it to what you do now and what the differences are in that yeah, structure sure. for you. So, in terms of like a, a, a prep, it's usually. I think, and where people come unstuck is they try and they try and go too lean too quick. Yeah. Like I also never, because of the category I compete in, which was fitness, mm. you don't have to be that big. Yeah. It's one of those ones where I'm not a bodybuilder. It's, you know, I stepped on stage at 13 stone, which is like wow. nothing. Wow. I was 0% body fat, yeah. but I was 13 stone. So it, it's not like I need a huge off season where I go up to like... 16 stone and then cut back down. So I need all this You time. just need to look good and balanced, right? Correct. It's all right. about symmetry, proportions, mm -hmm. condition. Yeah. And then basically, if you can hold on to as, as much size as you can, yeah. then, then you'll look better on stage. Because I'm tall. Yeah. I'm six foot one. So, like, you know, being being skinny wouldn't look so good yeah. when you're that lean. Yeah. So for me, it was a combination of just keeping my resistance training progressive so that yeah. I'm, you know, that, that stimulus on the body to, to maintain muscle is there. Yeah, absolutely. Whilst you're reducing your calories slowly over time yeah. so that you're in that deficit so that the body fat drops. So it was just a balancing act of trying to hold on to as much muscle as you could while trying to force your body to lose as much fat as it could. Cokes. Cokes. Yeah. That's the thing. It's it's all like forcing it was never an option. Like if you were doing it in eight weeks, it would be forcing it. If of you're doing course. it in twenty, you, got you know time. you you've got time to just like slowly eke away at it. And it means yeah. you're never in too much of a a hard calorie deficit because yeah. although we're called professionals, like we, you know we compete for money on a pro circuit with the bodybuilding. We've all got day jobs. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not so one of those things where you can push yourself into a five, six, seven hundred calorie deficit and do a job. No. And be nice to people. And why don't you explain to people what? Because uh, we've I've actually just talked to James about this. Um, you know, he's just uh, done a recording with me. Why don't you talk to people about what happens if you push your body to go down that low that quickly for that long? Um, what what it does to you? Yeah. So, like, I, I often say that it's kind of like burning the candle at both ends, right? Yeah. So, being in a if if your primary goal is fat loss, then and kind of what you don't want to do is downregulate your engine. Mm -hmm. So your body's a very, very smart piece of machinery. Mm -hmm. So like if you take away the calories too much, like your body will shift stuff that it doesn't need. So mm -hmm. it will say, hey, you haven't got enough energy here to operate. Mm -hmm. So let's downgrade some muscles. So like mm -hmm. same with an engine. Let's take a couple of cylinders off. Yeah. Let's those those 16 inch biceps. You don't need those. <laughs> off they go. Those down those, to 12 you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like you know that that 46 inch chest, you don't need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off yeah. you go. And yeah. so if you put if you take the calories out too quickly, then your body's smart enough to know that it needs to downregulate muscle. Mm -hmm. And if you downregulate muscle, you downregulate your metabolism. Mm -hmm. So your body becomes less efficient at burning mm -hmm. calories. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a catch-22. And that's why it I said is. you want to coax it rather than force it. Because Good if you word, can go like if you can go like a small but sustainable calorie deficit, you can try and hold and you keep up your resistance training and you've got enough protein so that the the sort of the, the protein synthesis and cell turnover is still regulating mm -hmm. highly and you can mm -hmm. hold on to muscle mass, then keeping your metabolism high introducing that small but significant calorie deficit over a long period of time, your body fat will reduce and reduce. Mm -hmm. Whether you do it as safely as possible, you still will get a down regulation of your metabolism and kind of the hormones that come out of it. Being in a calorie deficit, yeah. like it will 
eventually where you don't. It's inevitable. It's basic biology. You can't escape it. The the more the lower that you take your calories, even if you do it progressively and over a long period of time, the more you downregulate your metabolism. One equals the other. But I think what Sean is saying is that there are more optimal ways exactly. to do it exactly. um, than just going full in, right, 700 calories, <laughs> off I go for eight. 12, 14, so, so do you know what? This is kind of what I did in my first show. In oh, I've my, got in, this here. Were there differences between your preps? Tell, oh tell my me God, this. yeah. My first show was literally, I didn't know what I was doing. It was kind of like you go on a, you go on bodybuilding forums and you read it. And it's like, of yeah. course, yeah. And it was, a, so I was getting up and doing fasted cardio. I'd do a 3K run every morning before breakfast. <sighs> and then like I would, my, I think my calories probably never went above 2,000. And then I would hit like a weight session in the afternoon. I'd do that five times a week. Mm. But, I got shredded, but I also got quite skinny. Yeah. Which was fine if you're an amateur. Yeah. And I competed in an amateur show and then got the invite to the Europeans, which was my first attempt to get a pro card. Mm. What I learned between my first and my second show was that whole fasted cardio stuff was completely irrelevant if I just managed my calories and managed my energy 100%. better. Yeah. So I didn't, um, I put more calories back in and took the cardio out and then it was just over a longer period of time yeah i kind of managed my body fat levels and managed my weight and i came into my second show much better yeah and then for my third show it was even more it was a case of like i would i think i never went below two thousand calories yeah at all this is smart and actually i think a lot of people get caught up in their first prep and what they find is that they then i actually have said this on the podcast before just to be clear i've never competed but i obviously know a lot about it given that i work in the kind of physique side of uh, my job. Um, But yeah, I I know that a lot of women in particular, especially bikini competitors, will get caught up in that, in in the first prep and what worked for them. And then it's like every subsequent prep from then on gets worse and worse and worse. Um, Whereas it's really interesting on the the flip side of the coin, especially um, male bodybuilders and competitors will find that Again, they may be coming too lean or too small to to compete at a, a bigger level, yeah. and so actually they actually then have to they're pushed to learn more, educate themselves more. How can they how can they get rid of the body fat, yeah. hold on to the muscle mass, and then they actually find that subsequent preps get easier and easier. Um, so I find that really interesting comparison. And it was also like when I say I I learn, as in I'm I'm a, a coach by nature. Yeah, I don't coach physique competitors. But I've, I've been a personal trainer for 20 years. Have you never? I kind of would just presume that you did. It's the, the problem with that is because I got into judging shows and therefore I would never want to judge somebody that I coached yes. because I think it's a conflict of interest. Of course and, and, it is. And it, and it would just – and even – I have enough integrity to – even if it's one of my athletes, I would judge them fairly. Of course, But yeah. if they did well – I wouldn't ever want anybody to question that integrity, yeah. integrity and therefore take the hard work and sacrifice it's away from my blurry. athlete. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always just said I will never train physique competitors, although I have actually trained two, but that was that was almost by accident. Well, that uh, was it was it, it was because I had a client who I was training for for just personal training. Yeah, and then she wanted to do a, a show, and she said, "Can I still train her for the show?" And I was just like, "Oh, yeah, okay." And then the other one but was... Were you judging that show? Uh, I, I actually sat out of that round. Aren't you just such an ethical, yeah. I was ethical just, I just, little man? But it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was, I just said, I, you know, in the judging meeting, I just said, look, just hands up. I've, I've coached this girl. Therefore, I don't think my vote and my scorecard should think. And, and they were cool with that. They were like, okay. They said yes, but we still want to hear your thoughts. 
because okay. they, they trusted me that, and I actually yeah. had her in third and she came second. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> so, sorry about that, babe. So, yeah, but it was like, but that's probably because I was hypercritical because I was her coach. But that's brilliant. Yeah. And then the other one was an employee of mine who said she's going to do, do a show and can I help her with some things? And I was like, uh, yeah, all right. What category was she doing? Again, bikini. And the other one, bikini? Bikini. Yeah, the girls love a bikini, yeah. don't they? Um, and so that was, I don't know, we digress. I can't remember what, I was, what we were saying. But yeah, You're so. about pre- uh, your, the differences between your preps. Oh, sorry, yeah. And then because I'm a coach myself, I actually didn't prep myself, as in I didn't coach myself for the shows because I value the input of outside eyes. Oh, yeah, because you can either underreact or overreact, depending on what, what, where you feel that day. It's not, like, it's, it, you can always justify to give yourself a burger. <laughs> I <deserve laughs> oh, I'm feeling five, flat. To, I'm feeling so flat today. Oh, yeah, I need a burger. But you know what I mean? It, it gives you that when, when you're putting yourself through that process and your hormones are up and down, um, you're tired, your body's aching, like you can really... Uh, you can really... Misjudge, misjudge situations, yeah. and having a having an outside coach. So I've had Phil, you know Phil Lerney. Oh, of course, yeah, he came on series one, yeah. So Phil Lerney coached me for my first world championships. Did he? Yeah, and it was just one of those things where, you know, I'm a bit of a OCD geek with my training and stuff. So I would Same. write, I would write my own training and write my own diet plan, and I'd give it to him and say, "What would you change?" <laughs> and he was like, "This, this, this, and this." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> but I did what I was told. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but Phil is fantastic as well. I feel like he's he's uh, the the best thing about Phil Lenny. And if you guys haven't heard his um, episode on series one, do very I good re- episode. He's fantastic. And what's so good about him is his client management. Like I think the way that he respects and works with his clients, um, whether they're professional PTs that he's working with to help grow their business yeah. or whatever, or actual. Uh, you know, client clients. Um, he is so respectful, and he takes everything, the the big picture into account, how they are, who they are, what their life is like, and that is what you want. If you're really serious, guys, about either competing or if you've got a performance based goal, something that's actually a really serious goal, and not just dropping a dress size, get a coach who actually takes all of that into account, or you might you might struggle. Get yeah, it's yeah. in the. You know, we're not blowing smoke up Phil's ass, Phil, if you're listening. I will. We love we, you, Phil. We do love your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, James was bigging him up on our podcast, on our episode earlier Ugh. today. So you've just got Phil, like a whole day Phil, of love for It's the Phil Lonely Love Day. Yeah, I know. But he's, um, it, it, I think it boils down to, and this is when it comes to coaching full stop, you've got to have somebody that's, that is smart, is experienced. So they've been through a lot of things and they, they've got experience at overcoming situations, but also they, they care. Yeah. They care about what they do and yeah. they have an attention to detail that is needed at that level. And, you know, I think if you can get a coach who is smart, is experienced and has an attention to detail and really cares about yeah. their clients and their results, you're going to be absolutely fine. And he's very self-aware as well. He was telling me that, um, you know, since having kids and everything, like the way that he approaches his own life and yeah. his own body is like a whole other thing. And actually, I want to talk to you about that, but I want to get just with the competing thing. When was yeah. the last competition you did? Uh, the last competition I did, I would like to say was 2015. So that might be lies. 2014. 2014. Summer of 2014. And did you consciously decide to stop? Or do so, you think that you would do it again, maybe? No, it was a conscious decision to stop. So basically, after I won my first world championship, I then came back the next year to to retain my title or to, mm. to defend the title. Lost. Um, and so came back the following year to win it back. Yeah. Um, and I stepped on stage in 2014 in Las Vegas, world championships, 
having had the perfect prep and if that was the last time I ever step on stage, I would be 100% happy. Mm. Everything went well. I think I almost got a perfect scorecard. Wow. I was just blown away. Done. End of, end draw of story. Draw a line under it. Yeah, draw a line under it. And also we knew that we knew that we wanted to have a family and start a family. And competing is a very selfish sport. And you, you have to have a focus on yourself Otherwise, at a pro level, you won't be able, you won't be successful. There's so many areas where you can't compromise mm. if you want to be top of your game. Mm. And when you have relationships, business, mm. family, those things have to take sort of second, se- second place yeah. if you're competing. So I made the yeah. decision that I don't want to miss my son's first steps because I'm doing cardio. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to have like Christmas dinner at my parents' house with my son and being at a Tupperware. No. I don't want to, you know, go to my son's second birthday party and not have a beer if I want one. And it's yeah. and it's all those sort of things that you you can still be in great shape and you can still live a really healthy life. Yeah. But it's that flexibility around certain situations, especially when it comes to food, and especially when it comes to nutrition, that when you're a professional com- physique competitor – you you have to There's have no that. Room for you that. have to have that accuracy and that sort of 100%. consistency. Percent. I and I always say this. Um, you know, the level of sacrifice that you're going to have to make oh, depends horrific. on the goal. Horrific. So if you want to drop a couple dress sizes, or you want to lose a few pounds, or or you want to get a bit more, you know, I don't know, defined, um, then you know, you can probably continue to live your life mostly how you have been and just make some changes here and there to make, make that happen. Make some sensible changes. Yeah. yeah. But if you're talking about getting up on stage shredded as fuck with veins and abs and like, I mean abs, I mean that is months and months and months and months and months of zero room for error, 110% effort focused on one singular goal and one goal alone where you don't go out to eat with your friends and family, you don't drink, you don't, you don't mess around with it, it takes everything. So what Sean's saying is completely right. You know, to, to then decide that he wanted his life to go in a different direction meant that something had to give and it was competing. Yeah. And you're a fantastic dad. I love, I love, and it's a bit corny, but it's, as, as Phil probably said, it's like, it, it is literally the best in the world. Don't sometimes you want to kill him. Sometimes you want to kill him. <laughs> Throw him right it, out that window. <laughs> but it's, it is literally the best. And it's, you know, when you say, oh, it gives your life meaning, it 100% does. Like, I love my life, but I love my life even more because... Of my family and my my son and my wife. And I was going to say, do you miss competing? No, nope. because you can say it was fully worth it. Like where I am now. Yep, I don't miss it one bit. You know, you're the reason that. So I, for, for years, me and James, James and I, have always said we don't really think we want kids. Don't really think we want kids. And then I went on Sean's podcast and the way that he spoke about Lucas, I was like. Oh God! <laughs> I started to rethink the whole thing. Your ovaries were like, pow, 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 like pow, pow. Here we go. I'm there. Sorry, James. But yeah, I know James is still not there. He's like, let's get a dog first. I'm like, you no. should get a do- you should get a dog first. No, we Sean, got we got a dog <laughs> first. We got a dog first. Really? Yeah. I, so many people I know have to get rid of the dog. Why? I don't know because apparently no, just it's well, too much to have nah, a dog and a baby. Right. You'll be alright. First time round. You'll be alright. No, no, no. So you have a dog, and then if you if you don't kill the dog. And you can be responsible enough that the dog doesn't die. Then you know. Then, then you know that potentially you won't kill a baby. You do love your dog. So, so this, I had this conversation as Who well. Do you so, love more your dog. Well, or no, the this baby? is it. So, like before, before child, 
like the dog and the love you think you have for your dog. You th- uh, if someone asked me before I had a kid, like, how much do you love your dog? I'd be like, ah, oh, I love my dog a nine out of ten. My dog's amazing. <laughs> now, if they ask me how much I love my dog, I'd be like... Solid five. It's like, yeah, four, <laughs> four and a half. Like, my son is a nine. <laughs> like, I bet it, loads of animal rights activists are going to come Sorry, guys. You now. But it's true. Like, do and it, don't get me wrong, I still him. love my dog. But the, the level of love that you have for your own spawn is... <laughs> is Born. is far greater. God, yeah. And that's just, that's just science. We're, bi- we're biologically <laughs> wired. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is like the way you talk about it. It just makes me like, oh, I'd quite like that. But also, also, I quite like, I quite like my wife. And, She's mega. And I quite like, I quite like myself. I, I think I'm all right. And my son is literally a 50-50 split of us both. So, yeah. Like he's got the sass of, of both of us. He's got the attitude of both of us. He looks like, a, like a direct split. So like, I like my wife. I like myself. And he's like, like a, he's a perfect mix. He's a splice. It's great. Actually, do you know what I did want to ask you? And I think about this all the time and I've never asked you this and I really am interested. How did So find it when you were competing or you were like coaching bikini competitors because for those of you who don't know if you coach bikini competitors they have to check in every week they have to basically send you photos of every single angle of their body and I always wondered how do wives and girlfriends of coaches and bodybuilders and competitors find it when their partners are in an industry which is so focused on how other women Look, and I always was, yeah. I always, I mean, I trust James implicitly and we worked hard to get there. We've been together five years. Yeah. We've worked very hard to get to a place where I could put him in pretty much any situation and feel safe. Yeah. Um, but I always thought that for, for, for partners of, of even female competitors, that would be quite a thing, quite a hurdle to have to kind of jump. Yeah, and it was probably something that naively I didn't really consider yeah. at the time. Um, the whole coaching thing, I didn't. I wasn't really a coach. Like I did it twice, and they were kind of friends and existing clients. Yeah. So it wasn't. And I, I, I got to see them every week, so it wasn't like they have to send me photos of themselves. Yeah, like, yeah. That sort of, so it was more of like a. She's never had to deal with that side of things, but the whole judging a physique and being so involved in fitness, I think. I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I think it was quite damaging yeah. to our relationship. Yeah. And it's one of those things that when you're in it, you don't really see it. And I, you know, full credit to Sophs, but she was so supportive and so didn't yeah. create drama around She's it. She's a good girl. She's a good girl, yeah. 100%. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, the massive amount of credit has to go to the way that she handled it because mm. I do secretly think that it, damaged our relationship just that just that me being a fucking moody asshole for five years yeah um but also being so like inward looking and un- unaware of yourself and and selfish and as you said like we've been together 15 years mm. and that was a period in our life which probably our relationship as a couple wasn't that strong yeah and but but I think everybody can look back with hindsight on their relationship and say they had a period or multiple periods yeah. like that. And in a way, that's what pushes you and regulates your relationship into becoming stronger yeah. and more respectful. James and I have had horrible, horrible periods of our relationship, yeah. which I look back on now and, and still physically hurt me to think of. Yeah. But there is no way in hell that we would be where we are today if we have hadn't had to figure that out, go through it, endure it, and try and push forward. You've got it to, has to yeah. happen. It's almost. I'm not saying rock bottom, but you've almost got to bottom out as a as a yeah. couple and start from nothing. And like it, it put us into a position where we knew that that we needed to make some changes, especially around trust. Mm-hmm. And you know, white lies here, white lies there, mm-hmm. and the damage that it can do. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've we've done courses where. 
you know, relationship courses and it's almost like life coaching courses. And, oh, same, yeah. And it's and it's so so powerful. You know, we have therapy every six weeks or every month for six weeks, couples therapy. Yeah. Just same. in the diary. Yeah. And it's and it's one of those things which is kind of like we do it because it's almost like prehab. Yeah. So like you're, yeah, you, you're, you're, you're learning how to deal with any anything that might come up on the horizon you're armoured for. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's, pre- it's proactive. proactive. Yeah, and it's, not reactive. Which and it's is one of those so things important. where, like, if you really value your relationship and you know, you know, you've got to work at it. Like, and it's like anything in life. If you want it to be as effective and, and brilliant as it can be, you've mm-hmm. got to put a bit of work in, and you've got to 100%. you've got to get your hands dirty sometimes, and you've got to look at look at yourself and look at each other, and you know, have sometimes having a professional there to to coach you through it. I'm a, I'm a bloody coach by living, so for me to not appreciate the value that somebody else who's better than me yeah. at this can do, <laughs> someone who's educated who's, and yeah, qualified yeah, in the field can correct, help you. <laughs> correct, and it's one of those things where I know that you know. I'm probably not the easiest person to live with. So Mm. um, it's one of those ones where 100% I value. If I learned one thing in the last year, it's that falling into debt can happen to anyone. Luckily, I heard about the ISI, the Insolvency Service of Ireland. Their professional advisors can help you restructure or even write off your debt. The first thing they said to me was, every debt problem has a solution. I can still feel the relief. So if you're worried... Visit their website backontrack.ie or free text get help to 50015. The ISI. Together, we'll get you back on track. My relationship to to give an hour of my time every month mm-hmm. to sit down with my wife and, and hear and talk and be in a safe space where, you know, I know that it's going to sort out loads and loads of problems and we'll be together forever. Exactly. And I, I completely agree. I do feel like sometimes, you, you know, rock bottom is quite a savage way of saying it. But sometimes actually you actually, you have to get to a pretty shitty place where you don't want to be and you certainly don't want to stay yeah. to look at each other and say, okay, do we still want to be, do we do we want to push through this? Are we willing? Because when you're exhausted, like oh, it's easier sometimes to say, no, I want to walk away. Yeah. But you know, if you can look at each other and say, no, we're going to get through it. That decision alone, before any of the work starts after it, just is going to make you so much stronger because that tenacity, you so need it in a relationship. And like, yeah, James and I have really been through the ringer. And if if we hadn't, I don't even know if we would have ever got married. Yeah. I wouldn't want to marry someone who I'd never had to look at and be like, are we going to be able to make it through this? Do you want to stay? And they said, yes, I do. I wouldn't want that to happen after we'd already got married on the off yeah. chance that they said, no, I fucking don't. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's important. Fuck yeah. I find that so interesting, honestly. It's one of the parts of that world that I often find myself thinking about. I'm not really sure why, but I find it very interesting. I think there's a generational thing as well. So I think there are there are two types of people. If something breaks, you get a you fix. You, sorry, you throw it away and get a new one. Yeah. Or if something breaks, you fix, fix it. it. Yeah. And yeah. like my my bike broke the other day when I was cycling to work, and like the gearbox snapped off the back, and it was a fucking nightmare. But like I get to work, and someone's like, "Oh, are you going to get a new one?" I'm like, "No, mate. I'm taking oh, it to the bike shop it. to get it fixed." But Sean, you're such a reverie. James is like that too. I think it's an athlete mentality. Yeah. Like that, that just because the game isn't going how you want it to go or you didn't win, that you just give up. You don't just yeah, give up. Yeah. You work hard to get better. Correct. I think it is an athlete mentality, but I think you're completely right. There is a weird generational thing now, which we were talking about before the mics turned on, which we're seeing in, in so many different areas of our lives where people are just... <laughs> 
people just want to do the bare minimum and get the absolute maximum. And it's yeah. like, how does that logic work? But it, it is slightly a generational thing, or maybe we're just becoming grumpy old people. Maybe it's just Spartan. I think we're just old. We're just old, as <laughs> we're well. just old and angry now. Um, okay, so we are close to the end, and I want my... Wow, that went so quick. I know. It's, oh, dude, it's already been 45 minutes. Jeez. I know. Look at this. What happens every time Sean and I get together, all we do is talk about like relationship stuff, emotional stuff, and then it gets down. It's like, oh, God, we're on a health and fitness <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Sorry, team. About health and fitness. Sorry, team. Chloe. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, my audience are fantastic. They just are like, they're down. They're invested. They, they're fantastic. Um, okay, so to, to give my audience something that I know that they're going to be looking for. Sure. As a coach, as a competitor, as a very experienced professional in the field, what would your biggest piece of advice be to anyone, male or female, who came to you and said, Sean, I'm looking to gain significant muscle mass, naturally? Um, okay, so the first thing is, it's super simple. How much time are you going to give yourself and quantify significant? Do you know what I mean? Because if they say, oh, I want to put on 15 kilos of lean gains, you'd be like, dude, this, this is a five-year project. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think they've got to get really realistic with what they expect to achieve and mm -hmm. then put it into a time frame because then you can work towards it. So um, once you've kind of got them in a place where they understand what is achievable naturally, you know, then it's a case of drawing the roadmap of how to get there. Yeah. So if somebody wants to put on one to two to three kilos of lean muscle a year, mm -hmm. they're going to need to, A, be following a progressive resistance program. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. that means that means consistently lifting weights in a specific manner mm -hmm. for a significant amount of time. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're, you know, I would go for a year. You've got to be committing to do three to four times a week. At least. Three to four times a week for one year to see a one to two to three kilo lean muscle mass gain. So that's what you need to commit to from a training point of view. 100%. In terms of the nutrition, there needs to be a calorie surplus. Mm -hmm. So they need to work out. And you don't need to go full bulk This is mode. hotly in debate right now. And I'm on your, okay. I'm a, I'm on your camp with yeah. this. I've heard people say that you can gain significant muscle mass at maintenance. And I'm like, if you're talking about adding tissue, and I don't know what they're thinking in terms of pro the protein. I don't... So, so there's, you need to be think, at least in a slight surplus correct. in order to do yeah, that. One calorie, right? Yeah. So so there's a couple of things. So a lot of the studies that have been done on sort of maintenance calories, and this, this goes for both uh, muscle mass gain and fat loss, because mm. a lot of them happen at the same time, especially mm -hmm. like, because if you... If you can upregulate your metabolism mm -hmm. by growing lean muscle automatically yeah. because it's a body fat percentage, mm -hmm. your body fat will drop. Of course. Um, as long as you don't put on excess subcutaneous. Um, I think a lot of the research has been done on untrained people. So they'll, they'll take somebody that's never been yeah. in a gym, yeah. put, them on, put, put, them on, put them on maintenance calories yeah. or put them in a slight deficit, introduce them to a, a progressive overload stimulus and mm -hmm. then be surprised while they still grow. Yeah. It's because you're introducing a new stimulus. That's fine. Those newbie gains. I'm, I'm, yes, exactly. Newbie yeah. gains. Yeah. So I'm kind of quantifying this as people that are already in a gym, they're already training, they're, they're, they've got a training age of maybe one to two to three years. Yeah. But they're looking to commit to something more long-term to see real results. You don't have to be in a 500 calorie, 600 calorie, 700 calorie surplus a day. No. As long as you're in a surplus, and this is probably the crucial thing, as long as you have enough energy to train at an intensity mm -hmm. where you're going to be eliciting a growth response, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's the key. 
Yeah. If you're in a deficit or on maintenance, chances are you're not going to be. You're able not going to gonna have the energy. Yeah. Unless you're amped up on caffeine to the max. Which I and am cons- today, and I still don't have the energy. <laughs> or or you're sleeping massive. You know, sleeping yeah. eight, nine, ten hours a night, and yeah. don't have a demanding job. If you're a regular Joe who has a, a nine to five, maybe a family at home, mm. you know, you're going to need calories from food mm-hmm. in a surplus to be able to attack the gym in the right way. You've got to be hitting a base level of protein. So yeah. around two grams of uh, per kg per kg yeah, agreed. is kind of like the minimum protein requirement. And mm-hmm. you can get that from food. You can get it from sports nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, you then need to be following that progressive resistance program mm-hmm. over a significant period of time where you're training between three to four times. Well, this is what, something else I wanted to, to ask you in terms of your periodization. Yeah. How would you how often would you alter uh that structure um and in in what in what context would you alter it like how can you give an example yeah so a little bit geeky a little bit nerdy here apologies if no, you're not, I want uh, to, if you're not a sorry. training nerd but um i would i would make micro adjustments every 6 to 8 workouts right. so whether i would keep the overarching um sets reps rest periods the same yep. but i would progress exercises or regress exercises so that yep. there's slight changes yep. and that can be if you're training four times a week sort of on a on a fairly regular split it would probably be a new program or a program update every six to eight weeks. And that wouldn't be in terms of specific exercises. That would be in terms of instructed sets, reps. Rep, no, no, no. They would usually stay the same or, right. or slight differences. Right, okay. Um, but it would be, you might go from a lap pull down to a pull up. Oh, or you might, yeah, or you might go from a front squat to a back squat. Yeah, or you might go from stimulation a, of the same cor- muscle. Yeah. Correct. So right. working the same way. but um, And I would probably do maybe two cycles of that. So it would be uh, six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks. And then I would look at changing the mm-hmm. the sets, the reps, mm-hmm. and whether it's time to work on intensification where you go a little bit heavier mm-hmm. and try and tap into some, some higher level muscle fibers, mm-hmm. um, have less of a, a hypertrophy response, but try and get more of a central nervous system adaptation. Yep. And then yep. before you then go back out into a more of a metabolic response. So yep. periodization is all about undulating between basically lifting at a at a lower percentage of your maximum yeah so like 80 percent yeah and then working at a higher percentage of your maximum yeah. like close to 100 and it's that kind of fine balance and dance yeah between working at 70 to 80 yeah. percent and then getting as close to 100 as you can and the difference between those two sort of percentages of your maximum really dictates what response you're going to get so if you want to really make your sort of the muscles change the lower the percentage, sort of around 70 to 80% mm-hmm. will be much more effective. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to be able to throw more weight around, mm-hmm. then working up kind of 80 to, to 95 to 100 will really connect your central nervous system to your muscles in a way that when you pick up something, it will feel lighter. Yeah. So then when you come back to, to dancing around with a lower intensity, you'll be able to lift more. And that's, and that's how it goes. So it's that undulation between lifting kind of more reps and then lifting less reps with a heavier weight yeah. and then hoping that one carries over into the other yeah. so that then you can grow and progress yeah. over time. I, I, I just Sorry, I, that was really nerdy. It. No, no, no. That that's what so I nerdy. want. Like, and this is what I want. I want my audience to hear you don't want me people to who are yeah. so good at what, I mean, you're so accomplished in your field. I want you to be able to say, look, this is how you do it. And, yeah. you know, ultimately, you know, lifting weights in a hypertrophy range, you know, uh, eliciting that, that muscle stimulus and then also being able to have your protein intake high enough that protein synthesis kind of get all these things, you know, these are the, the basics. But, but actually, when you've been doing the same 
lifting program for a few months oh. and actually you know you eventually yeah. a you get bored and b you know you you do actually need to switch it up at po- not not as often as a lot of people think but at points you do need to change volume or intensity you need to you need to do something um, to elicit that response again, and you know, not a lo- this is where professionals come in. Not a lot of people would know how to correctly instruct yeah. that. So, so, so I would, yeah. So, breaking it down really simply again. So, if we're going back to your dude who or your girl who wants to put on some muscle, mm. it's follow uh, an appropriate training plan where you're lifting, you know, progressively with weight and resistance um, for up to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, within that, sort of get your periodization set so that you're making slight adjustments, but not overhauling the program every six to eight weeks yeah and then the overhaul kind of moving between heavier stuff and lighter stuff mm-hmm. every kind of 12 to 16 weeks yeah make sure you're eating enough so that you've got enough energy to train make sure you've got enough protein so that your body can recover mm-hmm. um make sure you're getting enough sleep because sleep is so important oh so important you're looking, if you're looking to grow like when i walked in here chloe was like oh you're looking really lean at the moment i'm like there's no reason why I should be lean. It's just because I'm not sleeping and I'm <laughs> yeah. stressed. Yeah, yeah. And literally my body shrinks. And so like if you're looking to grow, you've got to make sure that you're having sort of those, you know, if you can bank eight hours a night, there's a, there's a great book about why we sleep. And if you if you haven't read it, like... By Matthew yeah, uh, Walker. Walker. Yeah. Oh, guys, guys, if you don't know who Matthew Walker is, go and find out and read everything or and just listen that, to everything. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't read his book. It's a little... Bo- it's a little bit... Stop, it's a little I bit, love it. It's a good book, but it's a little bit boring. Listen to his TED Talk. <laughs> oh, his TED Talk. His TED Talk is so much better because it's like... The book condensed into like 20 minutes. He's fantastic. And he's also on a, one of my favorite podcasts by Rhonda Patrick, Found My got Fitness. It. She's a fucking goddess. Okay, but I'll, I'll summarize his book really quickly. Sleep more. Yeah. It's good for you. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really like, good if, for if you. you. Could, if you could sleep eight hours a night, you will be winning. Right, now continue. On from sleep and Matthew Walker. And that's pretty much god. it. So it's, it's like it's get, get your ducks in a row and commit to something that you think is achievable. And then there is no reason why you can't hit that kind of very simplistic goal of increasing lean tissue. And the longer you can keep in that in that system and that process where it becomes habit, the more likely you are to, to achieve your goals long term. And there's no reason why that one to two to three kilos can't become four to five to six, become six to seven to eight over time. If you're three years in and you put on a stone of lean muscle, you will look entirely different to what you do now. Oh, I mean, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. it is, it's, um, Sean's actually giving you guys some really, really amazing advice. So um, if you are looking to gain some serious muscle mass, take everything he said into account, especially sleep, because <laughs> sleep will save your ass. Sleep is good for you. There's a reason why we sleep. And there's a reason why we're the only species in the world that actually delays sleep. Like we'll we'll sit there scrolling on Instagram or like watching YouTube or reading reading a book rather than just going to sleep. It's mad. I mean, I definitely don't do that because I am a sneak sleep nut. I actually was saying this to um, Emma Story Gordon on the podcast. My parents, I think, because of doing years and years and years of this morning, they must have been up super early. Yeah, like three a.m. Yeah. every day. Oh, wow. And I think it kind of semi-traumatized them. <laughs> so that when they raised me and my brothers, they were just very sleep focused all the time. So for me, it's like it's always been a number one priority. And if I don't sleep, I am a nightmare to deal yeah. with. <laughs> I'm like I'm like one of these guys that I get to about nine o'clock at night. So I put my son to bed at maybe like seven thirty, eight o'clock. Literally, if I'm awake an hour after he's gone to bed, you are a very lucky person. Yeah. Whereas my well, Sophie's a night owl; she will be awake till midnight, one two in the morning. But then she needs 
like copious amounts of very strong coffee to in the morning in to the get morning. up. Yeah. Whereas I bounce out of bed at like six thirty, seven o'clock. Actually, yeah, and Sean, talking of Matthew Walker and then the night owl thing, this is something which is really interesting, which people might not know, and I so want to share. Um, whether or not you're a night owl, like Sophie, his wife is, or uh, what do they call it, a lark? So you're you're, you're early to bed, early riser. It's yeah. completely genetic, and you can play around with it to a certain extent. But it is genetic, um, which I just found so interesting because I didn't know that till I read his book. Yeah. And if I, anyway, right, I could rant about this all day, but we are out of time. No. I am just going to give you the floor, um, and I do this with every single one of my guests, to either leave the listeners with something that you think that they could really benefit from yeah. in terms of their health, fitness, physique, anything. Cool. Um, or to talk about anything you've got coming up that you want to tell them about. It's totally up to you. Um, okay. So in terms of like giving you guys some value, I don't, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. Is it a couple of weeks? Okay. A couple of weeks. So it will kind of be in January, February, yeah. which is yeah. when a lot of you guys will really be kind of trying to take your fitness and trying to take your health kind of a bit more seriously, having had a very debatably healthy December. <laughs> if it's anything like mine, it will be, uh, mine. you would be having a great time. And <laughs> you know, that's all right. And a lot of the time, my biggest advice to people when they come to me in the new year is to give yourself a little bit of a break. And, yeah. you know, the old adage of Rome wasn't built in a day is so true when it comes to your own health and fitness goals, because creating a, a manageable and sustainable sort of plan for yourself is more than 90% of the battle. You know, if you're committing to doing one or two times a week, which is one or two times a week more than you're doing right now, it is so much better from a motivation point of view to set a target that is achievable and then kind of hit that target and then increase it as and when you can. There's, there's nothing more demotivating than setting something that's a little bit unrealistic. Oh, I won't drink for a year. And then uh, three, <laughs> weeks, three weeks later, you're like, oh, it's my mate's wedding. I need a few beers. Um, or say, I'm going to I'm going to train five times a week yeah and then life gets on top of you and going from like zero sessions to five is too much you'll be sore your energy will be all over the place so my biggest my biggest bit of advice would be give yourself a little bit of a break be realistic with what you can achieve and what you can kind of commit to and then make sure that you're hitting micro goals sort of aim for couple of sessions in that first week yeah if if that becomes habit 21 days later mm add another one. If you can keep that going, great. As in, Rome isn't built in a day, so don't expect to go in there and build a coliseum by the end of January. Just go in there and, and enjoy your fitness, enjoy your health, enjoy the process rather than just being transfixed and focused on the end result. So go in there, fall in love with fitness, fall in love with your body, and, uh, and you'll get to where you need to be very, very quickly. I think amazing advice, especially given the time of year. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, hit set yourself goals and targets that you know you actually are likely to achieve and then as and when you do you can increase gradually from there fantastic Sean well done thank you so much <laughs> um, so guys that does it for this episode of the podcast but please tune in next week when we will have another amazing guest and I'll see you then thank you Sean bye bye Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Don't forget to tune in next week when we've got Dame Kelly Holmes herself on the podcast to talk about all things female body image, lifting and nutrition. I thought personally if I got it, I'd be fine. Young people and sports people, we think we'd be okay, but the truth is that it can hit any of us hard like... 
I hate not being able to play GA, not go out and socialise with my friends. The sacrifices are the only way, so we really need to help each other along the way. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Sports Social Podcast Network.